I'm Chris Reback. And I'm Tegan Goddard. You're listening to the free version of Trial Balloon. Visit trialballoon.fm to get new episodes every week and more. So what's it going to be, Tegan? One or two? You're going to have to give me something more to go on. You could get tricky and dangerous with you answering a question without having all the facts. Tomorrow morning, 8 a.m., Apple Vision Pros go on sale. Are you buying one or are you buying two? One for you and one for your boy. Let's just say that if I make the uh, sale date, I don't think that I'm going to swing two. You might want to put that in your calendar and you might want to order one for yourself. Okay, I can do that. I'll make sure that I wake up. All I need is your credit card. They are pricey, but they could change the world, Chris. They could change the world. Just another device that could change the world. So we'll find out next week whether the world has been changed. For this week, I want to first understand whether Donald Trump is rolling to the White House or is he in trouble? Here's why I ask. On January 16th, the day after the Iowa caucus, Here were the headlines on Political Wire that morning. Can anyone stop Trump's march to the nomination? Trump could wrap up nomination by end of February. Even the battle for second turned out well for Trump. Trump holds solid lead over Biden in Georgia. And then your story at 8.48 that morning, what Biden likes about the Iowa results. And you wrote, Donald Trump easily won the Iowa caucuses, leading to headlines describing it as a decisive win, an early knockout, and a commanding win. While that may be the view from the Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley campaigns, the race looks quite different from the White House. Here are some takeaways that give President Biden's team hope. Trump's ability to rally his base may be limited. The Iowa Republican Party estimated that about 100,000 Iowans participated in the caucuses, down from 186,000 in 2016. There was frigid weather, but for a candidacy based on cult-like loyalty, the turnout was very disappointing. Two. Trump's legal problems are still a big problem. Entrance polls last night found that 31% of Iowa voters believe Donald Trump would be unfit to be president if he were convicted of crimes. Third, Trump remains a flawed candidate. Running as the, quote, incumbent in the race, two-thirds of Iowa voters actually still believe he won the 2020 election. It's pretty embarrassing that almost half of those caucusing last night wanted someone else. Trump is crushing his rivals, you wrote. But Trump's victory in Iowa was actually quite unremarkable and suggests he's very beatable in the general election. Well, the headlines told one story, your piece told another. Which is it? Is Trump rolling to the White House or is he in trouble? What I said was he's rolling to the nomination. I think those headlines that I was highlighting was that Donald Trump was marching to the nomination. He could wrap up the nomination by the end of February. With the exception of the one headline about Georgia, they were all about the Republican presidential race. But your point is a pretty good one because after the Iowa caucuses, I cannot tell you how many people came to me worried that somehow Donald Trump was headed for the White House, that he was going to win this election again. And I think there's two very different things going on here. It's one thing to talk about the Republican primary, and it's quite another to talk about the general election. So my point was that a view from the White House, Joe Biden looks at this and he's like, huh, Donald Trump's going to be the nominee, which I think If the White House was honest, they probably would prefer Donald Trump as the nominee than someone like Nikki Haley. Donald Trump is a more flawed candidate. For whatever strengths he has in a general election, he's probably the one that Biden feels he can beat because he's beat him already. So why does it feel like we keep seeing polls like the one you noted in Georgia? Don't we keep seeing that increasingly, that in Biden v. Trump, the numbers are extremely tight? 
at the least, and that at the most, aren't we seeing in more locations that Trump could actually win in various states? Absolutely. There's no doubt that the polls 10 and a half, 11 months before the election do not look good for Joe Biden. Unfortunately, for those people who like to say polls predict elections, those polls are not predicting an election 10 or 11 months away. Those polls are suggesting the strength of the candidates right now, and there's a lot of factors that go into that. One, we have a Republican nomination process going on. Donald Trump is actually dominating the headlines, not only in the primary race, but he's also running to courtrooms every other day because he knows he can garner more headlines that way as well. Joe Biden, the actual president of the United States, who's actually governing this country, you don't hear that much about what he's doing because he hasn't really started his campaign at this point. But he will. And I suspect that as voters begin to realize that Joe Biden is actually running for re-election, something that I think a lot of Democrats don't really believe, and that Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee, something that polls have also shown most voters don't believe, I think that people will begin to get used to the fact that we're going to have a Trump versus Biden 2024 presidential election and that that will sink in and that people will begin to take sides. But it is striking how many voters don't really believe that this is going to be the matchup. They think that Joe Biden is potentially too old and might step aside, or they think that Donald Trump can't possibly be the nominee. After all, he's got 91 felony counts against him in countless other legal problems. How could Republicans possibly nominate that guy? The reality is, is it looks like both parties are going to nominate those two guys, both flawed candidates in their own way. I would argue Donald Trump's flawed in many more significant ways. Well, the argument against Trump is not just that he's flawed, of course, but that he is a direct existential threat to democracy. And my question is, is he? I don't ask that because of the things that he does and says that make it seem like he is an existential threat. Things like January 6th, you know, I'll only be a dictator for a day. Things like presidents need complete and full immunity from any type of prosecution. I mean, there are all sorts of reasons why people raise these questions. But there are not that many people on the Republican side, and I'm feeling like decreasingly few people, even in the quote-unquote middle, I don't know what the middle exactly means or what defines it, who feel threatened by that or feel that Trump is such a threat to democracy. And here are just some of the things I'm seeing that are making me wonder, why is there such a dichotomy? Why is there the Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, Chris Christie group that is saying, yelling as loudly as they can, the house is on fire. Do you people not understand? There is a massive, massive threat to democracy, right? They could not be louder or more clear. At the same time, there are people like Jamie Dimon, J.P. Morgan Chase CEO, who praised Trump this week from Davos and warned that MAGA criticism could hurt Biden. Simultaneously, you posted today a new ABC News Ipsos poll that finds 75% of Republican voters said they would be very or somewhat satisfied with Donald Trump as the GOP's presidential nominee, as opposed to 64% for DeSantis, 50% for Nikki Haley. Third, we're seeing political leaders on the Republican side, Chris Sununu, I think we talked about that a little bit last week, but senators now, your good friend, Ted Cruz, other senators, Marco Rubio coming into the fold. Fourth, there's the No Labels campaign and the piece that you posted 
also today, no labels seems to hate Biden as much as Trump. There's the piece in the New York Times, what 17 of Trump's best people said about him, which outlines 17 back-channel disorganized statements from former Trump appointees, but no organized or coordinated effort. And for me, it's coming down to, I realize how Democrats feel. I realize how Liz Cheney and Kinzinger and Chris Christie feel, but that's a lot of people who either don't see the threat as dire or, one might argue, don't care about democracy. And if all of these former appointees are so worried, where is their coordinated effort to, quote, save the country? So I don't believe all of those people don't care about democracy. I think they do care about democracy. Maybe there are some on that side who don't, but I think that they do care about democracy. I think that they are not seeing the threat as that dire. Why not? You ask a great question. First of all, I think that the news media is to blame, and it's really because Trump is manipulating them. Over the weekend at an Iowa rally, Donald Trump suggested that he would serve for president in a third term, that he would somehow be able to have a third term. What I wrote earlier this week was that what is really newsworthy about that comment is that almost no media outlets reported his comment. In my view, the news media bends over backwards so that they don't amplify what Donald Trump says, but that means much of the crazy stuff he says, including some of the very authoritarian language that he uses, it really escapes coverage entirely. The media has not learned how to cover Donald Trump since he came down that escalator in Trump Tower back in 2015. They're still struggling with how to deal with what Trump says. He says ridiculous things. He says things that are designed to get attention. And sometimes they just miss things because they don't want to amplify them. And I think that's one of the cases. When you raise the piece by Sarah Longwell in the New York Times about the 17 former Trump appointees, all cabinet level appointees who have expressed their concern about Donald Trump when he was president and since he's been president, and you can imply from many of those comments how he might be when he becomes president, again, that they're concerned. And I think it's really up to Democrats and it's up to the Biden campaign to put those people, sit them down in a chair, do a face-to-camera advertisement with each and every one of them talking about the danger that Donald Trump poses for this country. Because there are a lot of people who believe that. And you will get Republicans, people like Adam Kinzinger, people like Liz Cheney, who will go on the record and say they're going to vote for Joe Biden because Donald Trump is a danger. And so I think it's really incumbent upon the Biden campaign to bring those messages out at this point. You can't rely on the media to do it. I think the Biden campaign needs to do it. I actually suspect the Biden campaign plans to do it, but that's what we need to see more of and we need to get that message out. I think it's absolutely clear what Donald Trump intends. I mean, just imagine if Joe Biden suggested serving a third term, it would be a national crisis. We would have panels on CNN discussing, is Joe Biden suffering from dementia? When Donald Trump says something crazy at an Iowa rally, nobody reports on it. Number one, completely agree. The news media in general, collectively, do not have a way to cover Donald Trump. That's because there may not be a way to cover Donald Trump. The things that he says, the way that he says them, his entertainment value, the fact that it's an entertainment sector, the media, even when they try to be newsworthy, they're still judged by ratings and sales and whether that's subscriptions or advertisements. They are in the business of getting and keeping 
readers, viewers, listeners' attention. And nobody in our society today knows how to command attention the way Trump does. News media haven't and will not figure out how to cover Trump, I don't feel. Secondly, sure, it would be political malpractice not to create the type of campaign ad discussion that you've described. I agree with you. I don't know, obviously, but surely they are planning on it or trying to do it. My question goes to the heart of patriotism and of those 17 appointees themselves, of the no labels people, of business leaders, and just trying to draw the distinction between their actions and Cheney, Kinziger, Christie, Romney. Is Trump a threat to democracy? Because if he is, if he's an existential threat, and if you are the type of patriot who has served in the US government, who is a public servant or in public policy, isn't your role necessarily then to stand up and scream it out, not wait for the news media to figure out how to cover it, not wait for the Biden campaign to call and, you know, let me come sit down to be three to seven seconds of a six. 60-second spot. Where is that active responsibility if he is a threat to democracy, which is why I'm raising the question, maybe these people actually don't think he's a threat to democracy. And maybe they feel that the things that he's saying are just hyperbole. The concerns of Cheney and Kinziger and the concerns that you raised are just worry warts and people who are worrying about something that's not actually going to happen. Which side is it? I think it's a valid question. And I think that the answer is probably a little bit less black and white than most of us would like it to be. There are a large number of people, probably a majority if the polls are correct, that do believe that Donald Trump is a threat to democracy. There's another group of people out there, people like Jamie Dimon, perhaps, who are really just trying to figure out, oh, if Trump becomes president, they're trying to hedge their bets. They're trying yes, to make sure I agree. they're trying to make sure there's a world there that which they can continue to function and operate and not have the president of the United States, who has pledged retribution on his enemies, come after them. So Jamie Dimon is probably a little cautious about that. And as the CEO of the largest bank in the country, he's probably concerned about how that might impact what he does during the day. But then there is, unfortunately, and this is the sad truth of it. There is a group of people out there who actually don't think democracy is working for them, who actually would like to have a dictator of some sort, someone who will do what it takes to fix some of these problems in the country. I don't know how big that is either. I would like to believe that it's a fraction of the voters of our fellow Americans, but I suspect it's probably bigger than either you or I would like. I agree with that. And I think that that gets back, and I know it's something that you and I have talked about for years. The idea is that technology has disrupted and disintermediated just about everything and has created instability and uncertainty, not to mention most tangibly job loss and job change and structural change. And that creates all sorts of concern. You and I have talked about, as others have, the economic crisis of 2007-2008 and the way that got handled and those who got bailed out and those who didn't. Everyone has talked about the handling of the Iraq war and some of the things that were said about why we were getting into that and who actually fought in that war and who didn't fight in it and some of the reasons why we got into that war and which Americans end up comprising the fighting class in America's military. When Trump in 2015 was saying that the system was rigged, and he was saying that from the right, if you will, 
Bernie Sanders was saying the same thing from the left. I mean, there are plenty of people who, to your point, feel that democracy hasn't been working for them. And yes, I think that the call then for an authoritarian type, a strong person type, that becomes very, very alluring. I think that Biden's responsibility is not just to describe that Trump is a threat to democracy, but to help reinforce why democracy matters, why democracy is the best system in order to improve individual lives, why the ability to have the freedoms, when we talk about freedom, freedoms are definitionally aligned with a government that is run by and for the people. That is democracy. And I think that, you know, if we want to have a discussion about threats to democracy, it also is going to require a discussion of why democracy, even when it is flawed, even when it results in challenges, remains the best, most personal opportunity creating system of government in the world. And I don't know that he's saying that. I think he's assuming we all just understand de facto why democracy matters, why it's so important. And maybe there needs to be more discussion helping to bring that why to life. Keep in mind, we're living through an extraordinary time. There was a quote from Mitt Romney. He was interviewed by CNN this week. Mitt Romney, as you know, Chris, was the Republican presidential nominee just 12 years ago. And he knows a thing or two about politics. His father was a governor. He's paid attention to politics his entire career. He told CNN this. You had a jury that said Donald Trump had raped a woman, and yet I don't think that seems to be moving the needle. There are a lot of things about today's electorate I just don't understand. So even Mitt Romney is kind of befuddled by the political environment right now. He's not sure how we've gotten to where we are, and he's been a key player in our politics and our national politics for several decades now. One other topic I want to touch on quickly before we go, immigration because talk about a key issue in this upcoming presidency and an issue that gets to the heart of democracy. Right now, there is the potential for an agreement between the White House and the Senate, including Senate Republicans, for some funding that would help address immigration. It would likely address Ukraine, other areas as well. Lindsey Graham told reporters, to those who think that if President Trump wins, which I hope he does, that we can get a better deal, you won't. You've got to get 60 votes in the U.S. Senate. And yet, House Speaker Mike Johnson is not committing to the deal. Plenty of House Republicans are not committing to an agreement. Matt Gates has said that not only is he actively against it, but that he wants Trump to talk publicly about tanking it. And guess what? Trump is talking publicly about tanking it. He wants the House GOP to tank it. Now, obviously, it makes sense why. If you're running against the current administration, an immigration crisis only continues to raise questions about the current administration. My question, is Biden's only hope on immigration that he can create an agreement with Republican senators and the Republican House blocks it? and that Americans subsequently accept the narrative that Republicans are playing politics rather than trying to solve the problem. That is the essence of this issue right there. And the one thing that I think about, it is, it is an extraordinarily important problem. 
It is increasingly so. And interestingly to me is that Texas Governor Greg Abbott, who has been regularly shipping migrants to other cities like New York and Chicago, Washington, D.C., he has effectively made this issue a national issue. It's no longer an issue just for the border states to deal with. And as a result, he actually has created an environment, I think, for a deal. And that's why I think the White House and that's why I think so many Democrats are interested in actually getting to a deal here. One reason they'd like to pass this Ukraine aid and Republicans have linked the two issues. But even more importantly, I think that many more Democrats realize that this is an issue that is an important one if they're going to win in the elections in 2024. Interestingly enough, the attempts by governors like Governor Greg Abbott and even Ron DeSantis to some extent have really helped Democrats probably come to the negotiating table on this issue when they might otherwise let it slide for another you know, year or two. It's very possibly the most challenging policy reality of Biden's presidency. It's going to have to get addressed. And it's something that you and I are going to keep an eye on. Of course, when you keep an eye on it, it might be through the beautiful view from your Apple Vision Pro. I'm not sure that the uh, Vision Pro is going to help me see politics any more clearly, Chris. But you know, <laughs> from what I've read about, I think it might be the place to watch a good baseball game. It would be a magical device if it could help you see politics even more clearly. Talk to you next week, Tegan. Bye, Chris. 